we are live. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. So I'm happy to have Beth Oznes on the show. Beth, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for, um, for coming on. It's, it's a real honor. Um, I'll tell you what, you, you certainly didn't make this episode hard for me. You've been all over the place doing so many different projects and different things for years. I think we'll have plenty to talk about. Yes, I hope so. I look forward to it. Yeah, cool. So the kind of the first thing I want to talk about is, I don't know if it's your most recent project, and I take it you do a lot of things during the year at once, but I wanted to talk about your, um, your book, Performance for Resilience, right away, and then how that relates to your, your show, right? Shine was the show yeah. that you wrote, and, and will you perform in it as well? I don't really perform it. I really facilitate local youth in performing the show. Amazing. So do you want to tell us a little bit about the book or how you got involved with that specific? So what had happened is um, the Rockefeller Foundation did a thing called 100 Resilient Cities. And they were really looking at this kind of future we were facing where, you know, people are spilling into these urban areas we have a, um, we're barely able to meet needs now. And we know that climate change is going to increase the intensity and frequency of climate related um, disasters and, you know, strife. So it was really like, how do we, I'm a planner. I love to plan. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a mother. I've had, I've been a parent for a long time. I like to plan ahead to really care for everyone. And when I saw this plan, I really, I loved the idea of it. And then I got invited into the Boulder, you know, Boulder was chosen as one of the first hundred of the, of the hundred resilient cities. And we had this big meeting with all the folks and I was invited to come join. And um, there was no opportunity at this meeting with all these different stakeholders for youth to have a voice in how we could plan for a resilient future. And I was, I left that meeting with my marching orders clearly clear to me like oh well and I thought how to given who I am a way to really um, support young people in sharing their ideas was through theater so I created this show the first half of it which really is like it was choreographed by a, um, a New York Broadway performer who works with youth in New York City it was composed by a really wonderful composer who's local Tom Wassinger who's a multiple grammy winning musician yeah i think i've heard of him yeah we've had this excellent music i wrote the script we designed the whole developed the whole thing for young people to have an embodied experience of how these fossil fuels formed going back three hundred thousand years in geological time to look at how these, these um how life on this planet changed and how we started to um build up these carbon reserves in the planet and that they became fossil fuels, some of them, and then our overuse of them during the industrial revolution and and continuing until now is starting to disrupt the natural carbon cycle. And so we leave it there though, where there's this kind of challenge ahead. Yeah, future. And then it really sets up young people to be using theater as a tool for them to author solutions at the local level for acting on these um, challenges and creating local solutions. So that was the whole thing that was yeah. designed. And then I traveled around with it to different communities that were part of the 100 Resilient Cities Network. In all inside the US? No, we also went to South Africa and cool. England. I had a long residency in, in, um, yeah, in England, in London, and um, worked with the University of East London. And then with their with their students went into a school in East London and led this whole school in doing an all school assembly performance that had young people authoring solutions. So when you say youth and young people, what kind of age demographic are we talking about? Are we like 13 and up or 18 to 25? Like what is kind of the target audience? It's a little bit like the United Nations defines youth as going all the way up to like 25 or 26. So that's me. Yeah, it's pretty wide. Um, pretty wide range. And I think that like, you know, the University of East London students were probably in their early, like maybe 20, early 20s. Okay. And they had fun doing it. And then 
we did it as young. It's, it gets hard to do it much younger than like fifth grade or sixth grade. Although okay. we did it in New Orleans with a group of, were they fourth graders? Yeah. And they had a great time doing it too. So it's kind yeah. of, it's, it's, it's kind of like open. The complexity of the skits that are created at the end change, you know, the, the depth. Is there like a kind of running theme and then you, you like get actors and actresses to come on and perform different skits? Yeah. Or what would There's it look literally like? a script that then people can perform the first half and that deep immersion into both the science of, of climate change. The yeah. first one is meant to immerse you in the cl- science of climate change and to immerse you in artistic excellence. Yeah. Because it's something that like you want to invest that kind of excellence and then that sets them up to write act two, which is local solutions to their, there we go. Their identified challenges in their area. And it's different in different places. If you so, do it in New Orleans, they have very different concerns than they do in London or in Chicago. Yeah, so it seems like one of the biggest uh, solutions to this crazy big scale crisis is just creating a dialogue and having communication between communities. And it seems like this was a creative way to make communication fun. So did, did you yes. have much success? Would you get a lot of people coming to watch the performances? Yeah, and people watch their own youth in a very different way than they do outsiders. You know, like yeah. you, you know, like you listen to your own kids and you know, like the recycling movement is a great example of that. Like uh-huh. was people who like kind of demanded that their families do it. They just like, you know, when it's presented to young people, it just seems right. Of course. Well, it's all about this, this, this value in, in seeing um, other people's perspectives. I talk about this all the time. That's how you kind of become more intelligent by just getting a diverse amount of viewpoints. And that's something, of course, I'd love to do with this show. But there's something about a young person who hasn't toiled through 50 years of change and strife and meaningful experiences. Maybe they've had some that gives you this like, it, what, what do they call it? Like it's an innocence that can allow them to dream and kind of think they can accomplish anything, which I think should something that should be definitely supported a lot. And it's funny because some of their solutions were like, hey, maybe we can make wa- cars run on water instead. And some of them, oh, yeah. naive, but there was a kind of a, 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 an exuberance and a courage in what they were dreaming to. And not all of them had those kind of solutions. A lot of them were proposing things that have like, we can do, we can change our priorities and we could, you know, decide to do things differently. So, and I also just feel like a lot of adults get, you know, I've done community engagement for a long time and adults can get into a place, not all, but some into a place where their lives are largely justifying the choices they've made that have locked them into levels of consumption. And young people aren't locked in in those ways. And there's still, and when we look to what's going to really make the change, it's going to be people setting up lives that do consume less. You know, we can talk about clean energy all we want, but the cleanest energy is the energy that's not used. Well, I think even more important, especially in the U.S. than consuming is, is waste. Like, if you plan your, your meals for the week, like I do, I, my fridge is empty at the end of the week, every single week. And yet it takes effort and it can, people are like, oh, I would never want to do that. It's so annoying. But you also like, you're less likely to overconsume, which is bad for your health. So yeah, I mean, I think the US wastes more food than any other country by a, a pretty decent factor. And all it takes is a bit of planning to fix that. And it's, it's a shame when there's some, some people who can't get food. I know that's an intense topic, but that we're wasting all this food. Um, I, I don't know what to do about it. It's like we have these big cultural changes that we want to make. It's like, where do you start? And it seems like your, your whole theory, your background is communicating to people through entertainment and, and theater, which I think is, is really cool. And you've done a, a lot of different stuff in terms of that. I was watching I was watching the comedy show that you released uh, on Earth Day last year. Some of those skits are are really funny. And I was like laughing my ass off, but at the same time, like it's a really serious topic. So I, I do think it, it's it's all about like communication. And I think that we're in an era right now where communication is is so strange. It's evolving so quickly. Like there's tweets, there's photos on Facebook, or there's photos on Instagram, and it's hard to really reach people in a meaningful way you have to connect to someone in the way they want to hear things you know 
Yeah, that's right. And also it's like, there is that, and then you Sorry, sorry you, you cut, you, you cut really out there a little bit. Kind of oh, oh, let me go in. Um, we all no problem. Yeah, Micah last week, like, <laughs> like is... her computer turned off. All right, oh, can you hear me now? Um, yeah, kind, kind of. It's, it's getting better. Okay, I'm yeah. cl closer to the modem now. But yeah, yeah, um, I was Thank also you. saying that we want to be communicating in um, – things that are impactful, like the content has to be, has to matter. Like the fact that you brought up food. If you go, we partner a lot with an organization called Project Drawdown, and they uh -huh. have brought together a lot of scientists and modeling and have determined the top climate solutions that we can be working on and how much carbon and greenhouse gas reduction we can get and how much other solutions can be sinks, you know, to sequester those mm -hmm. gases that they aren't released like that whole keep it in the ground thing and by partnering with this organization that's really working on impactful solutions you know like the the comedy show that you saw um well when we do the comedy show with our students they have to base their comedy on specific drawdown solutions and it's amazing how much you can do that you know oh yeah and then you're you have content that's funny and you're tweaking it you're having fun with it. You're making it local, doing whatever, but it's based on things that really are going to make a difference. So you, you, that was your fifth year, right? Doing that. Yes. And we, with, this one we had to go online because COVID. Hit, yeah. Obviously. So I, I was we curious. Some of our older work too. Yeah. I was, some of it's really good. It's actually, yeah. some of it really makes me laugh. Others, you know, it can be hit and miss. It depends on your style of comedy, but yeah. was this the first year that it was international? No, we've always had it international. We've always done a, um, a, a in, in conjunction with our live performance, we've always done an international competition for videos on climate comedy. And we've always had groups submitting from all over the world. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very interested in your thoughts. You've spent a lot of time studying entertainment and, and theater about how powerful, especially in the US, messaging is through media. And I'm not talking about social media. I'm, I'll give an example so you kind of know what I'm saying. I've been profoundly impacted. Actually, was this in the comedy show where someone went around and talked to people about knowing like the Marvel characters versus yes, like climate? Yeah, so, so it's, it's, it really rings. Of course, so it really rings true because I, from my young age, I, I grew up on Marvel. Me and my friends would go when we were 12 and 13, 14, 15, 16, all the way through until I'm in my mid-20s seeing these Marvel movies. And the messages that these movies are giving have profoundly impacted my life. Obviously, I now feel like I want to be like Iron Man and save the world. And I want to do it in my own way. So I'm wondering how you think that um, performance and media can be used to create obviously it has created better worlds we've criticized um huge political topics in the past there's documentaries and other things but i wonder how we can use not a climate change movie but some kind of other film or, or, or theater performance to encourage people to really take responsibility for what's going on right now when it's interesting some of the most effective climate change communication never uses the word climate right like, like the movie avatar they never mm -hmm. no they never really said that. I don't know if you've seen that movie by the filmmaker who made Parasite. He made a movie called Okja. And it's uh, a really fantastic. It was really popular, but I, it's a really cool movie about this. It's like a boy and his dog story, but it's a girl and a genetically modified pig. And, okay. and you have this beautiful story between these two species and you're cheering for them. And of course, the big bad corporation is is um you know genetically modifying this this meat product which happens to be a living beautiful creature to be create more meat for consumption and there's never been a better movie to turn you into a vegetarian and if a lot. <laughs> we look at the top solutions for reversing global warming it's transitioning to a plant-based diet is among Beyond the a doubt. very top solutions so you never even have to t say the word climate change you don't even have to allude to it and the thing is, is that we make many of our big decisions, our biggest, most impactful decisions, not on logic. You know, like what kind of Emotion. a car do you buy? 
you kind of check out the stats, but in the end, you want to feel something about this car. Who do yeah. you end up marrying as your mate in life? You know, you don't do a cost-benefit analysis. It's who you fall in love with. Where do you sure. move to? You move to Boulder because you love the mountains, not because it's cheap rent and good job prospects. It's definitely not that. <laughs> no. So we, we do our biggest decisions in life based on emotional responses and feelings. So why would we think that climate behavior would be any different? So do well, kind of, yeah, go ahead. No, well, I was going to say, I suppose. Yeah. So I talk about Alistair Norcross's class. Oh my God, Aslan, stop texting me. Uh, I talk about Alistair Norcross's class and how he presented all the arguments of why we should transition away from eating animals because it's just morally wrong, but it didn't, it didn't really sink into me. So I went vegan four years ago. I said this on the last show, it didn't really sink in until I was able to relate it to myself, unfortunately. And I'd be open in the sense that I'm, I don't really believe in true like altruism. I think people really need to see things through their own eyes. And when it was when I watched a video where a doctor outlined every single leading cause of death and how it could be prevented by eating a plant-based diet, that is logic. But at the same time, the emotional sense, like I want to live, I want to be healthy. I want to be strong. I'm just like, some of these emotional arguments that appeal to people's good nature. I mean, I, I don't like to be a pessimist. I'd really try not to be, but it, it doesn't seem like there's a, there is a lot of information out there um, about the horrible effects of climate change and how, and, and the, the impacts that we've had on other nations by just burning fossil fuels, they're getting hit much worse than us by the something that we've caused. I wonder if there's a way that we can, we, I feel like we have to appeal to people's self-interest. And that's just my yeah. personal bias. <laughs> no, you're right on. I remember I was at a conference and I was presenting on this work, this activist work that I'd been doing. This was decades ago. And there was a New York Times um, writer there who was really influential in the field I was working in. And I was kind of excited that she was there at my presentation. And at the mm -hmm. end of it, she, at the end of it, she kind of goes, yeah, I hear what you're doing. But like, in the end, the only way to m motivate people is through self-interest. And yeah. that doesn't have to be so like nihilistic. It can no. be like, hey, where do you, because you can take any issue and find where the impact is on that person personally. And we also kind of need like immediate things. We can't just say, oh, your prodigy will suffer because they won't have open swaths of healthy, beautiful land. You know, it's like you, you can show how it will impact that person's love of fishing or that person's um, likelihood to be able to secure clean water, you know? So there's like immediate yeah. things. No kidding. So wh what do you think the role of money is in all this? Because I think it's, it's quite obvious. Micah mentioned multiple times last week that sustainable energy is already more efficient. It's worth investing in. It's going to create a great return. How do you think we can, we can reorient business to, to solve this problem, not just in the future, but, today i really believe we need well, i think businesses always respond to people and what people want and what they want to buy and you just create the appetite for you know i mean people respond and are innovative when beyond burger you know when when people yeah. are still you know, like that that really is a great thing for feeding business and i also just think that um you know like we always said with our with another activist organization i was doing where we like follow the money like we have more control than we think we do. Like our, 100%. our votes, every time we spend a dollar, we vote. I was literally about to say that. That's, that's great. Yeah, it's so true, especially when it comes to what you buy to eat, if that's going to have the biggest impact. Yeah. Like, yeah, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not like an expert on, on how, I, don't just, I just don't eat meat anymore at all. But like, I don't know if like grass-fed or, or free roam agriculture, I think it has a, a worse impact potentially. Well, there are a lot of really good ways, like even one of the drawdown solutions is like this co-mingling of when you start doing pastures with some animal in between, like silver pasturing, it can really have some benefits when you do agriculture mindfully. So I don't even know that you need to, like, I think we lose people when we demonize meat because there yeah. are like, there are like, Al Plumwood who was really, like she said, I'm not a vegan. I'm a, I can't remember the word she used, but it was like an environmental like so she would only eat meat that had been um well sourced like so for me yeah. locally 
if we're going to eat any meat, we only buy it at alfalfas where we know the legacy okay. of that, of the environmental impact and the experience of the animal who is giving their life for this meat. So that's so, why it's so expensive. Know, everybody there. finds their path along the way. And I think that like once working, like saying to people working towards a plant-based diet is I think much more welcoming than saying you have to be a vegan. I mean, I know yeah. my own mother would be like, they're going to take away meat. People feel yeah. challenged, backs are up against a wall. So I yeah. think that like just all of us kind of transitioning, because none of us are living perfect lives. We're all driving cars. We're all heating our homes. You know, so we like noting that and just saying, and we can incrementally do better and lessen our impact, our negative impact. Yeah, it's just so hard to to not lose people when this is it's such a, a huge problem that needs such big change and the, the truth of what you said is is that you don't have to go vegan we can we can just continue doing exactly what we're doing but the, the problem is your actions have consequences so it's it's just a matter of you taking action to better your future and people who de, like there's people who will just deny that and i think Oh, like the, the, the jury's out. It's just the argument continues. So it's like, I, I, I'm not interested when I meet people who say they don't believe in climate change. Like I'm not really even interested in convincing them that climate change is real because I just don't want to alienate someone from my network. I would rather them, you know, talk to me, build a relationship with me, and then maybe go figure something out on their own. I just don't think like drilling things into people's heads, especially for adults will work. I think we've lost something when we think that that's what climate action is, is finding the biggest, most staunch climate denier you can find and convincing them. Like, that's a joke. That doesn't even happen. Yeah. You don't like the thing that does happen that can happen is if you make a better party. People are at this fossil fuel consumption party. And it's a pretty fun party because there's a lot of power packed into fossil fuels. Yeah. Like you just like put your foot on the accelerator because I bike and walk a lot in town. Uh-huh. I know the human energy it takes to get up a certain hill. I know how uh -huh. much it takes and how kind of grueling and hard it can be. Yeah. And when I'm in a car and I just put my foot on the pedal and zoom up that hill and it's so much easier. Yeah. I get it. Like I know the conversion of human energy to fossil fuel energy and it's, it's amazing. It is. And, and so it's a party. Like it's, easy it's fun i can get home faster i can do fun things i can go places and so like we have to make a better party of lessening our impact and we can do that we can find community oh, yeah. like living together mm -hmm. in different ways that consumes less and has more human connection and more connection to the earth i mean a lot of us are finding that even just with covid because my friend is doing a week-long vacation with his family in rocky mountain national park and it's like, I just did a hike at Wild Basin and it's as beautiful as other places I've been all around the world, you know? So it's mm -hmm. like, I don't need to be like, but I'm somehow convinced that I need to go somewhere farther away. I told myself a story about this idea of party that was, oh, you have to go somewhere fancy and then report back and create that desire in your friends mm -hmm. so that we all go traveling. And instead you could say, Wild Basin, I heard about it from a friend. Wild Basin was an amazing hike. Is that and in Utah? No, it's in Rocky Mountain National Park. Okay, yeah, you yeah. The stream the whole time that's raging and then get to the end and there's this falls and you get this mist all over you and it's gorgeous. Well, yeah. And it's like, you get people, like people want that. They want amazing experiences. And you can say, uh -huh. you don't have to travel to do that. You can drive no. 40 minutes and do that. I won't, I won't discount traveling too much because obviously I've done a fair bit of it as well. I but I. I do think it really comes down to your perspective and I'm, this is probably not the most popular view, but I mean, there's amazing places in the world. You can go see everything. There's differences all over the place, but I just think it is all just this one big system and they're all, there's similarities all over the world. There's water, there's trees, there's rocks, there's people. So it's like, if you want to go have fun, I think it's, it's more about who you go with a salon. Stop texting me. Uh, it's about who you go with and um, Jesus. And yeah, he, he keeps who you texting going like <laughs> what you, and why you're going to, it's just an interesting thing. Like we, we kind of, there's some appetites that are just there 
but we also create some appetites by we're kind of we're social animals we're looking towards each other and we can create an appetite for community and like when gardening becomes cool localized food production is a really great way to do you know to really start providing some of our our, our nutrition and you can create the appetite for that like we can have the things that are pro environmental can become aspirational and fun yeah yeah i think that's that's really important sorry but what I, what i was getting at is i i spent time traveling by myself uh in the middle of, of university and i was off in greece and the islands i love them they're amazing it was hot the people were great but it, it was impactful because it was the first time i ever went by myself but then I went traveling with my ex-girlfriend all around New Zealand and the comparing those two trips, it's like a totally different experience. I would, I would never wait, even if I like Greece more, I love beaches and islands and I love the Greek culture. I'm a very big into philosophy, but it was just about being with someone and being able to experience something amazing with that person. So no matter what country you're, you're from, there's amazing waterfalls, amazing hikes, amazing trips you can take. Sure, you can do them all. But every time you go back, I know my dad, my dad hikes up to High Point in New Jersey, like almost every week. And every time you might see a deer or you might see this or the trail might change. And it's all, yeah. I mean, at the same time, though, I do have this, this lingering feeling that I don't know if we can convince Americans to totally change their lifestyle i I've, i i tend to lean more towards adapting the technology to be sustainable rather than getting people to change who they are because i honestly think the technology is, is easier than like influencing people because people love to just think that they're not being influenced and think that they're just making their own decisions you know yeah and it's an interesting thing when you whenever you set out to address climate and look at it in a way that you're going to change other people's views or behaviors. And it's like, it's just a, it's a tricky thing because if I thought somebody was coming knocking at my door to change me, I'd be like, forget you, you know, yeah. I don't want you trying to change me. But, if somebody yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> but yeah, if somebody invites me to try something that they thought was cool or delicious, I'd be all for it. Like, thank you. That's great. And I think if we come at it with a spirit of generosity of just like, hey, here's a cool way to do this. And I think that that's where we, when we start integrating the arts, when we start integrating comedy, like we can, we can find the fun and find the funny while still accomplishing these things. And the best art always asks questions. It doesn't give answers. Yeah. No. And I think people really gravitate towards sharing questions together. Uh -huh. And, and there's no more wicked question challenge than climate change and i mean i guess there are other things too but they're all interlocking right, definitely. So engaging people around questions and rather than just saying i'm going to shove my answers down your throat and hope yeah. for the best which is not going to go well i mean i think that's a good transition to start talking about in the greenhouse a bit but people don't don't have the answers it was what it comes down to well we, we have solutions but there's no like hard soil answers like this is the right way to do it 100 percent. it's about making balance and achieving what we can realistically accomplish so yeah this yeah i'd like to hear a lot about like how you got in the greenhouse started and what's happened in the last is it five years um it's been longer than that. it's been eight years yeah so inside the greenhouse started when max boykoff who's an environmental studies professor um, Becca Safran, who is an evolutionary biology professor, and then myself, who's in theater and dance. When all we at CU, right? Yes, all at CU. And when we realized that um, we needed to be communicating about climate in a way that bypassed these kind of already held defenses against certain arguments. And that we mm -hmm. wanted to do it in a more creative way that really drew upon people's imagination and how are, what are different ways that we can be engaging on these, on these things? So we did a lot of big public events that were really great, like Jim Baylogs. That was right when Chasing Ice came out. And we did a wonderful event at Mackey with him. And he did this poetry and his photography. And we called it the Art of Chasing Ice. We performed a human glacier outside of Mackey when people were arriving. We had about 50 people performing this receding glacier. They're all dressed in white and they're we had a, a glaciologist come and help us choreograph a glacier. So we're trying Is this to like, like back in 2013? 
Yeah, and how do we start to embody these things? How do we start to like dig in and give people experiential? And you can feel that vicariously too. If you come across a performing human glacier, you don't need to be part of it, but you get that kind of, you know, we're empathic beings. We can we can start mm -hmm. to feel it vicariously. Yeah. So getting in, like digging in in different ways was super interesting to me. And we just have continued to do that. And we're really just fleshing it out. We, we rely on courses that we teach. Mm -hmm. Like Max and I co-teach creative climate communication every year. That yeah, you teach climate. environmental studies and theater as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, cool. And yeah, and I always, I, lo I love that because theater is always about something. And I'm really interested in like, you know, Naturally. ancient theater. Ancient theater was all about how do we use performance to um, celebrate, to create and maintain balance between the natural world and ourselves. And that was when people were assigning natural properties with godlike status. And they were appeasing huh. the gods, but the gods were the gods of wind and rain and things that would sustain and impact their lives. And so we've gotten away from that. We think that there's, we don't really, in our religions and in our belief systems, we don't really daily think about how much our existence is dependent upon the health and well-being of the earth that we reside on. But no, we just, we've known it. It's here. It's around. We just think it's going to be here the way it is. And that's that. Yeah. And so getting back to that kind of connection to and centrality of that balance of our existence and, and our celebration and delight, you know, like Dionysus was like celebrating wine coming back every year and the intoxicating delight of that gift from the earth, Yeah, you know, literally. And so we have the delights that we get the, I mean, like the fresh garden tomato that I just mm -hmm. ate yesterday. Like that's delight. And that's like uh -huh. gratitude. To and you earth. grew it yourself. You created yeah. that. And then what I want to comment is that we are extremely unique in so many ways, the human race in general, the human beings, whatever you want to call it. The I think the only other like organism that has a profound impact on his environment is, is beavers who build dams. So we don't only build dams, we build wind farms and cars and cities and all these things. People who say, who say that I don't think humans can have an impact on the climate. It's like the climate is just the earth system. And we basically, we are the kings of the earth system right now. I, I think it's kind of indisputable at this point. Like if you look at the earth 200 years ago versus today or the earth five years ago versus today it's very obvious that humans have a huge impact we are we're running the show here like it's a responsibility yeah we're a species gone amok we've changed the course of rivers and yeah changed the quality it could be for the better and that's that's why we have people talking about this and that's why this environmental movement has been going on for so long is we can build if we are building the world and shaping the world we can make it better and i think that we will we just have to get people motivated to, to make the entire planet better rather than just um, their own individual experience. And I think it can be done by pursuing self-interest, but I think the, the market needs to take into account uh, externalities more. And what I learned at the University of, of Colorado in Leeds is about stakeholder versus shareholder value. We really need to reorient things. And Andrew Yang, who was a candidate for for president, he talked a lot about how we need to reorient the way we we quantify value and take into account, like, for example, like mothers who, who go home and, and take care of children there, you know, you, you're investing in your future when you have children or when you take care of the environment, you can look at it. There is a clear return on investment by, for example, investing in sustainable energy. Like it will give you back money in the future. You have to look down the line, you know? Mm -hmm. We've always been challenged as a species in that kind of long-term planning versus short-term payoffs. So it's, it's funny because the thing that keeps us alive and has allowed us to thrive so much is our, our cognitive ability and our ability to plan, but it also is one of our greatest foibles. So yeah. it's just, we're a complicated species and yeah, it's, it's just interesting to watch. We're not the most, we have capacities for logic, but we don't make a lot of our big decisions based on that. So we're a complicated species and coming up with, like this is such a big wicked problem and the best communication wicked strategies problem, right. tell us don't hand people this 
climate change message that is global in scale and like it's just too much people disengage they feel guilty they feel afraid they feel despair they feel grief so don't like let's listen to the social sciences and the psychology that that have studied how people can handle this and you people want impacts can on the ground <laughs> yeah you need to keep it solutions focused you need to identify co-benefits to pro-environmental mm -hmm. behaviors it'll make you lose weight it'll help you have less wrinkles it'll like you know what do people want connect it to what people actually yeah. already want and then keep it at the local scale and yeah, think global what, act local yeah and keep it in a way it that works. is like it'll actually make my community better totally and i i think what what we don't realize is is successful business owners do understand the value of delayed gratification. The way companies like Amazon and Microsoft have been able to succeed is through planning 20, 30 years in advance or even 10 years in advance. And I think, yeah, people, I think generally people who have success have an idea and then lock into it and know that it's gonna, it's gonna satisfy them if they succeed. And then they put in the work and they put in the effort to build it. And I think those are the, those are the people who make huge impacts. And I, I just, yeah. Oh yeah. So that's pretty um, valuable. Yeah. Cool. And I think that when we get back to like climate, how we can, if we can kind of build in and integrate the mindfulness towards all these things that we're talking about, we got a better chance. And that's why I like working with young folks and mm -hmm. people who are just forming their lives and, influencing their own families and like I feel like that's a it's the most useful place to be working and I yeah. also love getting to reach a, kind of a wide swath of people so that's why working in schools and with youth is really pleasing to me because you know like if I do an environmental performance and advertise it I know who's going to show up mm -hmm. and there are people who really don't need to hear the message as much or mm -hmm. even like engage mm -hmm. in the questions together but if you do it in a community, like it was great. We did Shine at Stober Elementary School, which is in um, Jeffco in, um, yeah. in Jefferson County. And yeah. it was great because one of the mothers who was, knew that we were doing this or heard from her child that they were doing this was an engineer with the, like, in a mining operation. And she was like, I want to be sure that we're really giving a fair shake to excavation around um, fossil fuel energy. And she came in and did a thing with the students as well around the work she does around fossil fuel mining. And that was fantastic because like getting that kind of dialogue and giving that kind of comprehensive like this is where we are. There's people who have invested in their careers and their lives and their communities kind of infrastructure around fossil fuel extraction and use. And those people matter and they've contributed a lot to our well-being and, and you know, the, the success of our communities. So to really respectfully and mindfully acknowledge what that has been and how we are involved in it and part of it, and then how do we make appropriate and innovative transitions towards survivable choices for the future? Because conditions keep changing. You know, we always mm -hmm. have to respond to changing conditions. And so, you know, like Micah was saying last week about how the profitability of clean energy is increasing and overtaking of some of the legacy fossil fuel industry infrastructures and that's, that's the way business goes and i think that when we when people feel like we care and that we acknowledge their contribution and we're going to care in terms of how this community is going to be trained up to be the clean energy engineers and solar installers mm -hmm. and you know so that there's we're not just abandoning and demonizing but we're working together as a community and i think that's what was cool about working in schools is you can get that whole community experience and investment and involvement. Yeah. So you're obviously, you've been educating for a while. I'm, I'm curious how you got started. If you maybe had ambitions to like write shows from a young age, or if you wanted to be a performer and then you kind of moved into working with people. Yeah, to I always teach. liked, I like creating theater and I don't need to be, I'm not, I'm not really like, I never was like, I want to be a star. That wasn't okay. really my goal. I like making art and I like making yeah. art about something that I care about. And I've really been led in that. And I love the, to me, the three things like being able to do teaching, creative work, and then research 
is so delicious because yeah you get to do a diversity of things do the work i, I love being they're interconnected yeah they are being creative yourself and doing the work in the world and then when you have to like teach you really learn a lot from your students because you hear what comes out of your own mouth and then you hear what they respond back to and That's they so cool. on it and then doing the research matters too because you know, like i was remembered when i finished touring shine around the world and mm -hmm. i was kind of tired and i had created this Naturally. great website about it and then i was like do i really have to write the book and then I was, <laughs> no i really i'm a professor so i have to write the book keep my job how long did it take well it takes a good year to write a book and yeah, it's I've never hard. One. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. And, <laughs> and I remembered, but the process of doing it really makes me engage and critically engage with what I've done and make meaning from that and come up mm -hmm. with lessons learned, really identify and articulate recommendations from that. And until you can say it, you're like, oh yeah, I kind of, I know what I mean. You don't, if you can't say it, you don't really know it. You haven't fully developed that idea. And it's like the, it's like the, the the like like a whole like art is like this maple tree and it's cool and it's alive and it's growing but then it's like getting that little bit of maple syrup from it is like the and now i've articulated the sweetness of this lessons that came from it and then you can share it you know you can yeah. take bite-sized pieces maple digestible syrup you can share it out so you can't eat a whole tree it, you can yeah you can share these experiences and we can all build on each other's experiences to keep doing better work. Yeah, so you've been using theater to give uh, specifically women and, and many people a voice for years, for probably decades now you've been using theater to communicate. I was wondering if you'd wanna kind of get into your previous work on like the mother's tour and, and mothers acting up yeah. and your work with, with just feminism in general. Yeah, so I've really been interested in ensuring, I mean, I really just want things to be fair and wherever right. I can see that the things aren't fair, I'm interested in going into those spaces and seeing what I can Because we can change. Do. Yeah. So with Mothers Acting Up, it was really um, us looking at how can we use our political might as American women. And um, very powerful really, position compared to the rest yeah, of the world. And to, and to start having an influence on how the experience for the rest of the world's children is. And we mm -hmm. realized that like, you know, American women were at the time that we were doing this work, 83% of the spending of our economy was being decided upon by women. And it was like, that's an economic might. By, by, by women? Or do you mean men? By mothers. Like mothers at the household level. 83%. Yeah. I mean, this was when we were doing the work. So it was a decade. And this was back in, in early 2000s, right? Yeah. 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 And when we looked at how much of the household economy was being decided by women, we were like, oh, we have a lot of economic might people might want to court us for and so starting to articulate that and get that out and let people know was hugely powerful um also just um mobilizing people to realize they had a voice there was this great moment where there's i was doing a workshop using theater as a tool for women to empower their voices and this mm -hmm. one woman was like i just hate conflict i don't want to she had identified something that she cared about was that um the bagel shop in her town einstein bagels wasn't recycling and it just bothered her. And we were rehearsing these different, um, using your voice to act on your concerns. And she was mm -hmm. like, well, I'd like to tell them. And, and when we- when Using she, your voice, do you mean like literally going in yeah. there and talking to them? Yeah. It's yeah. powerful, so, Wor words are very powerful. This podcast yeah. can reach people and change their opinions, you know? It's really cool. Yeah. So when we, when we, when she held this, using her voice as conflict, like, oh, I'm having to tell Einstein Bagels that I don't like what they're doing. Then she like felt really weird about it. But then we said, we, we reframed it. We said, you know, Einstein Bagels pays a lot of money to figure out what their customers want. You're giving mm -hmm. it to them for free. You're just offering it. So then she yeah. practiced and then eventually did Data. calling the corporate office and just saying, hey, I'm part of this organization for mothers. And um, our values are aligned with, um, these kind of more pro-environmental practices and business. And I just wanted to offer to you that that would really matter. And that really factors in highly when I decide where I'm going to be spending my money. And it can, this was in town in Boulder. Yeah. And the, yeah. And, and it was just powerful because once she re um, configured how she was even holding what she was going to do. And mm -hmm. once she just like, it doesn't have to be conflict. Like I don't like conflict much either, but when I think of using my voice, it's like, Hey, I'm just sharing my, my insights and sharing my opinion, then it can really 
start to transform. So Mothers Acting Up, I was doing this work around women's rights and then realizing the extent to which when you looked at the women who were most vulnerable and most under-resourced, climate mm -hmm. change was the thing around the corner that was going to be causing the most human suffering. And that's obviously what we got into at the beginning of the, the podcast. Yeah, and even looking yeah. at children's rights, you know, childhood pneumonia takes more children's lives than AIDS does. You know, so when you're looking at global pandemics of like wow. health related issues and just trying to save lives, you know, air quality and a lot of it's indoor air pollution. So a lot of that's access to clean burning cookstoves. And so I got interested in that up, that um, work. And then I started working with the Navajo Nation, women in the Navajo Nation around access to clean energy. And we started- So what would your workflow look like on a day-to-day -day basis when you were on this mother tour? When I was on the mother tour, it was, it was um, different installments of traveling to a community, working with a host who had brought us in and wow. working with women in that community who wanted to strengthen and empower their voices. So we do You've this- talk to people all around the world. Yeah, and we do these workshops where they would start to identify things that they cared about and start to imagine and rehearse ways that they could use their voice to make a difference in their community. Yeah. And thinking of the use of voice as an action, like as a political action. And when you start to rehearse it as a community, in community, you start to encounter different obstacles and then you can problem solve and kind of think about different solutions together. So that was really setting it up. And then I also had a performance that modeled and kind of invigorated this idea of like mining our own stories for um, the kind of the knowledge and the wealth and the like the innovative ideas we need. We have them, they live in our stories. Yeah. So kind of cultivating and digging into those stories. We can how did you find system. How did you pick where you would want to go? How would I'm you target sure whoever was a host who wanted it? You know. Okay, so you'd re reach out to like governments in the city and see if they wanted to host um, this event. Or with this, it was it ended up being some faith communities. It's interesting once you leave Boulder. Mm -hmm. Boulder is not such a big faith community place, but of a lot of um, America, in my experience, a lot of America kind of relegates their their places of like where they're going to do good in the world that they kind of want their faith organization to validate it. And that's, that's their source for coming up with things that where they're going to do good in the world. So by partnering with a lot of like different faith communities, that was a really generative space to do. That makes like sense. Like some universal Unitarian hosts. They're very, faith communities are very performative as well. Every, that's like one of oh, the yeah. biggest, that's like one of the biggest places where a, a full grown man who never sings ever he'll go to church and he'll, he'll happily sing the church songs because he's just yeah. connected to this community. Yeah, and that's part of its power. It uses that people love to be expressive and to feel that coming through them. You can physically feel something when your voice goes through you and it, it, it is expressive. It feels good. It's a release. It's actually a, a contribution to well-being, to wellness, to mental yeah. health. So what, what was Speak World? I remember it being related to this. Yeah, so it's way. related. It's, that's what, so Mothers Acting Up went for until 2012. Uh -huh. And then I really evolved from working with women and mothers, which was wonderful, mm -hmm. to going a little bit farther upstream, like to getting to younger women who really could start to shape their lives and maybe have more choices. So they don't yeah. end up in, you know, with more children than they, than they had um wanted to have or you know like maybe they can delay marriage a little bit longer so that they can invest more in themselves and their own it education. seems to be the trend these days yeah and there's science around it and there was like the girl effect and all this thing of like you know when you just look at it strategically investing in young women is the best investment with development dollars they how tend do you mean to, they tend to invest in their communities more they don't do as much of the drain away from their communities if you there's a long legacy of in investing in education for male identifying high achievers and they would often leave their community and to pursue better opportunities. Yeah. Take it. Yeah. And um, so women tend to return back to their communities. They tend to take huh. those economic gains and invest into the community. Where, where's this data coming from? Well, this is just like development data. Like when you look at the girl effect, they would just say that, statistically looking at sustainable development trends 
that women tend to return back to their communities when like let's say they got an international scholarship to go study abroad uh -huh. it's just more likely that women will return back to their communities and take that um that capital that like that in like either that medical degree or that you know advanced education degree or social work or whatever it is and invest that back into the infrastructure of their original community and um huh. that's very cool yeah, so like so investing you, in women, you're inadvertently, based on the data, investing back into the community. If women have yeah, more power, like, the community will be healthier is the theory. Yeah, like if you read like Half the Sky, like Nicholas Kristof's book um, that he co-wrote and like things like that, like it just, it started making sense. Like people started understanding that like investing in women actually made a lot of sense. And how and, did you use theater for this? Well, it's interesting. Like using theater was a way to say how can women how can women start to impact like empower their own voices one of the things was like the international community was like all of a sudden like oh my gosh we got to hear from women women have been their voices have been marginalized suppressed oppressed for millennia and just sticking a microphone in front of somebody who hasn't had the role models for this it was like you know, I had a woman, when I did this workshop in Milwaukee, there was a woman who said, our voices have been silenced for so long. It can take us a while to find our words. Like, give yeah. me a second. Give me a second. Uh -huh. And so creating these spaces where people could come together and really think about what, what are my values? What do I care about? What are actions I'd want to do? How can I rehearse doing this in a safe environment? And then I can take it out into the world. And it's less daunting. And I feel vitalized in doing it because I've practiced. So having these spaces where people could really work together in creative ways. When, when Adrian Many Goats and I started the, um, we wanted to start, we were doing this work around clean energy development and it mm -hmm. was working in conjunction with um, Eagle Energy that was working in the Navajo Nation. And before working in the Western agency, we thought let's listen to the women deeply before we start doing programming. And so we did these creative sessions where we met for a day long Thing a couple of days in a row over a few months. And we met with women who self-identified as caring about the clean energy future of the Navajo Nation. And a lot of these Diné women and Navajo and Hopi women came. And we used these creative exercises to identify the things that they cared about the most. We rehearsed them in kind of creative ways. We did um, really aesthetically stirring exercise to start to articulate what they cared about. And they, in a very efficient amount of time, identified and created the Navajo Women's Energy Project, which cool. is still going on today. And so it's, in a, it's not even just like, oh, feel good, fun, beautiful. It's actually a cost efficient and time efficient way to bring people together to identify goals and strategies for how to act on those goals. Well, if you give people purpose, they're just much more likely to act and follow through on what they're doing. If they believe in the, the impact behind their actions, they're more likely to, to stay and stick to it, I think. Yeah. And it's also, it's like, I'm understanding most humbly my role. I'm just there helping coordinate. They have the purpose. They have the energy. They have the local knowledge. They have the investment in that health and well-being of that community. So it's really just like partnering with folks who benefit from some of these methods and approaches and offering them up for them to use as tools. It's a little bit like if like if you're building a house and I come by with a hammer and you're like, wow, this is a great tool. I'll use this to build the house in the way I want to. So it's like yeah. really sharing tools. And I mean, that's what you get to do at the University of Colorado when you're a professor. You get to help like, you know, there's biologists who are coming up with, with you know, patents on drugs that will help people really manage certain things. It's like, and we're doing the same thing. We're coming up with approaches and methods that are really effective and supportive and um, nurturing in being able to address really important issues to the community. I'm very curious what your thoughts are on the kind of tension and bad rep that, that goes along with feminism. Because so I think it's, it's very misunderstood. The idea, hey, you're smiling. The idea is, is that we, everyone should be equal but it seems like the voices are saying, 
literally I hear tear down the patriarchy. And then what it's like, that sounds like tear down men, but in reality, it's more let's, let's have an equal society. But as a, a, a white male and we have two white men running for president now, it's, it's very obvious that these, these are the people who are in power. People tend to not like to give up power. How, how do we deal with this tension? How do we get men who are, are strong and, and want to be successful on board with a, a more feminist viewpoint. Mm-hmm. I don't I know. That, um, I think it really helps to think of like power with rather than power over. Right. Power is um, a positive, like you can like use po- like power is like opportunity. It's like wealth. It's all these things. It's also a responsibility. No and doubt. when we go into authentic responsibility with I mean, if half the planet isn't allowed the ability to share in the management of that power, it's a Mm -hmm. big burden on the other half. And it just breeds resentment as well. It breeds resentment. And it also denies people authentic community, like authentic relationships. And so like one of the things I think is a great way to look at it is I was at a conference and it was a mothering feminist mothering conference. And there's a woman who shared, she said, her husband said, the greatest gift of the feminist movement and the women, women's movement is that it gave men back their ability to parent. Because parenting- Sounds is, good to me. Getting to have an authentic relationship with your children is actually kind of like the, one of the best things you can do in this lifetime. I mean, it goes back to what we were saying about vacations. It's about who, not where. It's yeah, so true. Being in authentic partnership, like in my own- you know, relationship with my partner, we, you know, there was a long time where he was bringing in most of the money and the kids were young and, and now I have more of a steady income and we share it together. Uh That's a more stable, well-functioning model. That's interesting. And, and it's just like, it's like the, when, when one person is oppressed and the other is the oppressor, both of their humanities are diminished. Yeah. And, you cannot be an oppressor and, and we can inherit these oppressive structures that we were born into and we can work towards greater equity. And I think that, um, you know, like the, it's always funny because men, when they hear the word patriarchy, they'll think like, Oh, you think I'm a patriarch? I'm like, no, I don't like, it's like funny. Like I've had certain, I was in a meeting with a professional man who I've been in community with for a very long time. And he was saying something mm-hmm. like he felt threatened when somebody said the okay. patriarch and I said, Oh, you know, this person's name. I said, I view you as a feminist. I don't view you as a patriarch. I okay. feel like you're somebody who's the life I've been witnessing you. Labels are tough. Years. Labels are tough. You know, well, calling yeah, people are. deplorable like, and, and patriarchs. It can, it can not be all men. I know women who are patriarchal. I mean, like my own mother who I adore and loved and she has passed away, but Sorry she would that. write me a letter and it would say, Mrs. JP Osnes, like the woman who gave me my name, wrote me a letter with my husband's name addressed to it. And that's like a funny a patriarchal thing to do. And my husband, whose name it is, would never introduce me as such. And uh-huh. you know, so it's like women can be patriarchal, can have patriarchal behavior, and men can be feminists. And right. gender nonconforming people can be feminists and can be patriarchs. And so it's like, it's not, it's not like a, I don't know, it's, a, it's just an interesting thing. And I think that some of the, some of the efforts to diminish the the change because people get afraid of change if they think they're going to lose power and so they've there've been a lot of efforts right. to demonize feminists and to do of course and the media doesn't help by showing we we mostly see radicals on the news and mm-hmm. when you get on the ground level and ha- and this is why I love the podcast format so much because you get you actually are having a real conversation with someone you see what people like people are like most people, especially I go door to door every day. I meet people every week. Most people are not like, like this is the way I'm right. You're wrong. Like I'm hundred percent. This most people are, are just are, are people. They think they rationalize things. They're, they're insecure. They're unsure, but they have these, this upbringing that conditions them to be a certain way. Not everyone's like crazy to the right or crazy to the left or super passionate on one thing or the other. I just, I just don't know how it, it seems like the feminist movement hasn't done a fantastic job of trying to be inclusive with, with men. 
Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, I mean, I think it's like, look to books like Everyone Should Be a Feminist. No, Feminism for Everyone by Bell Hooks. Or Maybe I'm just biased. You know, like, every, like, Everyone Should Be a Feminist. And like, there are books that are very inviting and very non-aggressive. And mm -hmm. I think that it's, it's a lot of the media. We've been fed these lines that are very stereotypical versions of different people. If that's and, all you see, that's all you know. Yeah. So it's just, I think it's interesting to, um, it's a little bit like, you know, people will say um, with the Black Lives Matter versus some people wanting to say all lives matter. Mm -hmm. It's like there are people are like, I, I, the most useful thing I saw was where somebody said, um, it's insensitive to like, because somebody's been oppressed for so long and has encountered systematic justice, it would be like if you came to me and said, my father died and your father just died. And it would be like, and if I said to you, instead of saying, oh my gosh, your father died, I'm so sorry, that must be so hard. If I said, you know, we all lose our parents, all parents. <laughs> that would be really an insensitive thing to say. Right. And when we have, uh, you know, with Black Lives Matter, of course, everyone knows all lives matter. But when you're asserting Black Lives Matter, it's because there's been these recent raw manifestations of denial of the worth and value of Black lives. And so with femi like that's, that's very real. So with feminism, it's like, it's not to say that men can't be important and matter, but we've had a millennia of systematic, like when you look at the statistics now, it's not over. You know, like, no, they're still like, women are earning so much less to the dollar it, than it may never be over as well. We can always just continue to improve. And that should be what people strive for. It's just yeah. continued growth. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to have a e equality, an equal society. Well, it's I think about people on this planet and it's still going up. It's, it's an interesting challenge we have ahead of us because okay. population is still going up and our management of the resources we have in any kind of a way replicating equitable, like even going towards that, you know, it, it hurts us all when others hurt, you know, yeah. it's in our best interest not to have pockets of disenfranchised people who get radicalized and are angry and want to act on that anger. That's scary for everybody. So the yeah. best way to combat that is to take care of people and include them and share resources with them. It's the most selfish thing you can do. No kidding. So something you said earlier, we've, we talked a lot about uh, re relationships and empowering people through voice. I'm just, I'm pretty confident that you, you've, um, you've heard of the, the Harvard happiness study, right? Just to kind of wrap up here. I thought I found that to be so powerful that the most important factor for someone's health and longevity was the strength of their relationships. I just, that, that really stuck out to me and it just goes to show people, I think I have, you know, I'll eat this much kale, I'll run this many miles on the treadmill, I'll be fine. But if I'm like unhappy and can't have conversations with people and like, it's, it's crazy how it is physical conversations, but it's, it's, yeah. it, it's beautiful how like having strong relationships with your family, your parents and your loved ones, it, it makes you stronger and healthier. I'm yeah. sure, yeah, I'm sure you, you had read that before. It just really stood out to me. It's interesting with this idea that we're trying to go towards a, a healthier environment and addressing climate change. It's like when we think of that taking this on has to be a bummer. It has to be about deprivation. It has to be about loss, changing things that we love. But really, this might be an invitation into a better way of living that we get to experience. I think it definitely is. And maybe greater connection with the natural world from which we gain so much serenity, well-being, excitement. Um, we are from the natural world. We're a part of it and we control it. So we have a responsibility to take care of ourselves and the natural world. We, it's, it's who we are. We are natural. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I cool. think that when that feeling of separateness comes in, we thereby comes yearning. And we try to satisfy that yearning with a whole bunch of false things that don't satisfy. But getting back to that division, getting back to that feeling of wholeness, of being together as a whole community, as a whole ecosystem, as a whole you know, life, we can get that, that kind of satisfaction that we really all crave. I agree. Um, but like we said, it takes planning and effort and making 
action. And there are people out there that are doing things that you can get involved with like 350.org and lots of other organizations I'm hoping to have on this show. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been awesome. You have such an amazing background. More of what we're doing at Inside the Greenhouse, just go to Inside the Greenhouse at the University of Colorado. Our website has all the research, all the events, all the summer internships. Our students are doing amazing work. Insidethegreenhouse.org, right? Inside the Greenhouse, yes. Inside the Greenhouse, yeah, and they have that comedy show on there. They've got lots of different videos you can watch and all sorts of different ways to look into, um, yeah, sustainability and the community. That's really cool. Well, I think this has been really fun. Thank you so much for coming on. It was really a pleasure to have you. I'm glad that you mentioned that at the end. Everyone, I think, should go check it out Um, and just kind of think about getting involved in stuff that will make them feel good. You know, being involved with the community and talking to people will create something and make you happier and healthier. That's right. Cool. Thank you so All much right. for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for having for uh, coming on. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, and I appreciate it a lot. I hope everybody enjoyed. Thank you. All right. And everyone have a fantastic day.